morning I'll be speaking about the Holy Spirit, giving a bit of an introduction to your series. Uh, my title, if you care to write down the title, is Surprised by the Spirit. And it's going to be a little bit different today. Uh, I'm going to share my testimony, my story, uh, along with some things that I've learned about the Holy Spirit along the way in my own walk with God and my own growth. Uh, some of this comes out of a book that I've written called Simply Spirit Filled. And uh, Pastor Michael mentioned that uh, I might mention that, and some of you may have already been aware of that book. But uh, So if you're interested in learning more of what I'm thinking, you can take a look at that book. Uh, also, I, I blog online at andrewkgabriel.com, and uh, you're welcome to sign up for updates and see what's interesting there for you. Before I get into my story and uh, my sermon, I'd just like to pause and for us all to pray. So I would invite you to pray yourself um, and just say, Lord, speak to my heart, change my life, help me to be open to what you want to say. And Lord, as I share, use these words for your glory and for your honor. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, my, my story... Uh, is kind of intertwined with with learnings here this morning and I don't know about you but I grew up singing and praying in a number of different Baptist churches Salvation Army churches but primarily in the Pentecostal setting and each of these churches kind of they you know they were unique in their own ways and they all had different understandings of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit worked uh, the first time I remember experiencing the Spirit was at this church uh, this is a small church, as you can tell, in, in Greenwood, Nova Scotia, and I was about nine years old. I was sitting in the hard pew one Sunday morning, and I was listening to, I remember there was a guest speaker that Sunday, and from behind the pulpit, standing at the front at the end of his testimony, just like I'm doing this morning, um, he asked if anybody would like to invite Jesus into their life to become a follower of Jesus. And now I grew up in church, and I had been to Sunday school, and my Sunday school teachers had asked this question multiple times, but I had kind of decided, this is kind of scary because I was only nine years old, but I had decided at that young age that I was going to wait till I was older, like maybe till I was 20 or something like that, because I knew that becoming a follower of Jesus was a good thing, but I thought, you know, I want to have a little bit of fun in life first, and I think that probably meant I'm going to sin a little bit first or something like that. But this morning, as, as the pastor was there giving this invitation, my heart beated and it, it was thumping like the, uh, you know, the foot of a nervous rabbit or something. Thump, 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 thump. And I just sensed the Holy Spirit telling me, like, Andrew, no, you can't wait any longer. Um, you need to decide to follow me now. And I decided that day, and I, I did, I raised my hand in response. I prayed a prayer along with the pastor. And that was the day that I, you know, made my own personal decision that I want to follow Jesus with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now, at that point, um, I don't think that my faith in God meant too much to me yet. I mean, you know, I was nine years old. I didn't have the chance to sin that bad yet. Um, and it wasn't until probably when I was in my teens. And now I lived in a different part of Nova Scotia attending this church. At that point, I became much more serious about my faith, probably around 13, 12, 13 years old, started reading my Bible regularly, 
entering more into worship, engaging in prayer regularly. And I began to have a lot of experiences of God. And looking back now, I'm, I'm not sure that all of them were legitimate. To some extent, I think I was just sort of copying what other spiritual people were doing. Uh, so, you know, I, I saw and heard people pray in tongues, and eventually I did. And I, I think that some of that was at least legitimate. And um, I saw people laugh and dance, and they were kind of saying that this is the spirit involved in their life. And other people were saying that they're drunk in the spirit, and they kind of stumble around. And so I'd, I, too, would laugh and dance and kind of copy their stumbling or whatever, because my understanding was that's, that's what it looked like to engage with the Holy Spirit. And so for me, like my experience, or my Christianity, I guess I could say, was really about experiencing God. That's what it was about for me at that point. Although I was reading my Bible regularly as well and praying and so forth. And so when I go to church, you know, I'd sit in the pew and I'd listen to the sermon, I'd sing the songs. But really for me, I was waiting for what we called the altar call, the after service, when the pastor would, you know, give us the chance to respond, come to the front and really experience God. Because that's for me what it was about. And I did all this because, you know, I wanted to know God more. I really, I wanted to experience God more. And for me, that was kind of like getting a spiritual high, some people call it, you know, this feeling of peace, elation, happiness, if you will. And so, and, and I, I suppose I could add, you know, I would go to church camp too. And, you know, church camp, there was church services every night of the week, altar calls every night of the week, and I could experience God in these deep and meaningful ways. And I would say that this is what my Christianity was like in my teenage years, in my growing up years. And I became a bit of a, a spirit experience junkie, as I describe it in my book. And I would say that there's, there's two important things that I didn't realize at this point in my life, probably more than that. I'm sure there was lots more than that, but as far as our understanding of the Holy Spirit, one is that the Spirit's work can be quiet and dramatic. And so I was looking for these, you know, these big moments and, you know, where I really sense God's presence and, and the Holy Spirit. And, and sometimes we can look for the Spirit just in kind of these dramatic things and in the miraculous and these amazing things. And, and I want to affirm this morning that the Spirit does work in those ways too. And so I would think, as a teenager, I would think about texts like 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul said, talks about the spiritual gifts. He talks about, to one, there's a gift of healing by the Spirit, to another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits, different kind of tongues and interpretation of tongues, and these things were amazing, and wow, to experience these things. Likewise, I think of after the day of, or on the day of Pentecost, after the Spirit's been poured out, and... Peter gets up to kind of preach and say, okay, this is what's going on, because the people are like, what's going on here? And he quotes from Joel chapter 2 and says, in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. It's like, wow, this is amazing. All these charismatic experiences. And I, again, I affirm that the spirit works in some spectacular ways like this. But I didn't realize that there was a broader spectrum of the ways that the Spirit works. Or as I said, that the Spirit's work can be quiet and undramatic. So I think of even back to the first time that I experienced the Spirit. Going back to that church, or at least the first time that I remember experiencing the Spirit. Going back to that church in Greenwood, Nova Scotia, 
where I sensed the Spirit drawing me, I sensed the Spirit convicting me of my sin, even in that moment, and I would say that wasn't, it wasn't dramatic, but it was something noticeable. I had a real sense, and I, I see this in the scripture, John chapter 16, where Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict, or in some translations, in the NIV, prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the same chapter where Paul talks about the spiritual gifts. I mean, he talks about it in other chapters too, but here he says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so when I made that confession, Jesus, your Lord of my life, I'm going to follow you. I want to obey you. This was the Holy Spirit at work in me, even in this quiet and perhaps less dramatic way. Even when we think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like, let's take a look at Romans 12. So as I said, Paul talks about it in more than just 1 Corinthians 12. And here, you know, he mentions some of the same gifts. Here's prophecy. But right beside it, we have serving and teaching and encouragement and giving. And when people, you know, when people have the gift of encouragement, they don't necessarily go around talking in their King James voice all the time. Thus saith the Lord, be thou encouraged. Or, uh, you know, I, some people have identified the gift of teaching in me. And it's, I don't stand here when I teach in the classroom and, and be like, oh, okay, thus saith the Lord, I am now about to declare to you the teaching that the Spirit is revealing through me. And, and sometimes the Spirit is working, you know, as people are serving and encouraging and leading in, in quieter and less dramatic ways. And I didn't recognize that at that earlier point in my development. I think also of the gifts of the Spirit. It's interesting, the language Paul uses here, he says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. And Pentecostals, Charismatics, we often think walk by the Spirit means like, oh, just miracles and signs and wonders and um, hearing the Spirit speak in very clear ways. And those things do happen. But what Paul meant here is to not gratify the desires of the flesh or the sinful nature, some translations say. And he gives some examples like sexual immorality, jealousy, rage, selfish ambition. And then he goes and he contrasts and says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, or forbearance in this translation, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then a couple of verses later, he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so for Paul, walking in the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit in this passage, it's about how is your life? How is your character? Are you giving in to those sinful desires and temptations? Or are you keeping in step with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit? And again, not always in ways that are so amazing, like, you know, peace and patience won't necessarily get you a Christian TV show. Um, but, you know, miracles might. Um, but this is the Spirit working in, in slow and sometimes hidden ways and quiet ways and, and growing us over time. And so what I needed to realize and what I come to realize is that the Spirit works, yes, sometimes in dramatic and amazing and spectacular ways, but also sometimes in quiet and slow even ways. See, the Holy Spirit is, is like the wind. And even if you read both the Old and the New Testament, if you were to read it in the original languages of Greek and Hebrew, the two words that are used for spirit, they both mean wind. 
So in the New Testament, there's this word pneuma. It means wind. Sometimes it's even translated wind. And it's a very apt metaphor for the Spirit because, like I said, the Spirit's like the wind. The Spirit is, is unpredictable. It's uncontrollable. Sometimes it blows very strongly and it is very obvious that the Spirit of the wind is blowing. And sometimes it's more like a gentle breeze and that unless you pause, you might not even be conscious of the stirring of the Spirit around you. And sometimes we only look for the Spirit in the storm, in the loud, in the spectacular. But we need to be aware that the Spirit is also sometimes like a calm breeze. We shouldn't deny that the wind of the Spirit blows in both ways. We need to recognize and be open to and affirm all these ways that the Spirit works around us. Because as I've said, the Spirit's work can be quiet and undramatic. Another thing that took me some years, I think, to realize is that the Spirit can accompany us in pain and suffering. And what I mean by this, to give the opposite, is that, you know, in this early stage of my spiritual development, I basically thought that this experiencing the Spirit was always happy, joy, yeah, whoo! And uh, that basically, you know, it was about getting this kind of psychedelic spiritual God high or something. And even when I think about some teachings that I hear in some Christian TV stations, radio, whatever, this what's sometimes known as the prosperity theology or health and wealth gospel, it's kind of like, you know, if you're experiencing the Spirit, you should have victory and joy and everything should be going good. And that just doesn't line up with what I see in the Scripture. And in fact, the Spirit can and does accompany us in pain and sorrow. Now, we have to have balance here. So on the one hand, I do want to affirm that the scripture does associate the spirit with joy. So I look at Jesus and it says that in, in Luke chapter 10, at that time, Jesus was full of joy through the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Or if we go forward to Romans, the apostle Paul writes, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I even read just a couple of minutes ago from Galatians chapter 5, and one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. So certainly the Spirit does give joy, but it also associates the Spirit with hardship. And what I mean by that is that when things are going great, it doesn't mean that the Spirit is gone or that the Spirit is involved in our life. The Spirit can be very much there. So even another passage from the Apostle Paul here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 6, he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering and with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I included this passage because it includes both sides of things. Like, here is Paul talking about Christians who are experiencing the joy of the Holy Spirit, and yet they're in the midst of severe suffering because of their faith and sharing the gospel. Another good example of this is in Acts chapter 6 and 7. Stephen is described at the beginning of Acts chapter 6 as a man full of grace and power who performed great wonders and signs among the people. And in the same chapter, it describes him as full of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we continue on through chapter 6, there are some Jewish leaders who start to oppose Stephen. As you know, uh, some of the Jewish leaders, just like they oppose Jesus, also oppose some of the early Christians. And they opposed his message and his preaching about Jesus. And so they brought some people together to, to bear false witness against Stephen that he was committing blasphemy against the Old Testament and Moses and God. And, 
And so in chapter 7, Peter responds and he starts to preach about how the people had rejected the prophets over the years in the Old Testament. And now, just like the prophets of old, they rejected Jesus who came and was full of the Holy Spirit. And just like the prophets had preached, anointed by the Spirit, so did Jesus. And now they had killed him. But God raised him from the dead. And now, go back to Acts chapter 2. What happened? Peter preaches, and it says at the end of Acts chapter 2, thousands of people were added to their number that day. All these people were saved. And so we come to the end of Acts chapter 7, and we might go, wow, Stephen has done these signs and wonders. He's full of the Holy Spirit, and surely now thousands of more people will be saved. But if you actually read it, it says that they stoned him. They killed him. And yet, within this very same few verses, it says Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit didn't leave him in the midst of this. He looked up to heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at his right hand. So we see here that the great, sometimes the greatest display of God's power is not in the absence of pain or in the presence of the miracle, but sometimes it's in our faithful endurance, our faithful obedience to God, and our faithful proclamation of the gospel in the midst of adversity. And even today, certainly we know around the world there are Christians who are martyred and suffer for their faith on a regular basis because they're faithfully witnessing to Christ under the empowerment of the Spirit. In Canada, thankfully, I don't think too many people are killed for their faith, but sometimes we do suffer a loss of privilege or status or in our community, in our workplaces, in society. And aside from suffering for the gospel, we live in a fallen world. We live in what Romans 8 calls a creation that is waiting to be liberated from its bondage to decay. This is a fallen world because of sin. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says that not only so, but we ourselves, so it talks about creation groaning, and then he says, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the Spirit is involved in our life, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Go down to verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for us through wordless groans. I think of people who are suffering these days with COVID, people who are suffering with illnesses, diseases, cancer. They groan. And just because they aren't healed doesn't mean that the Spirit isn't there and active in their life. In fact, maybe the Spirit's giving them a gift of faith so they can keep confessing Jesus as Lord and praise the Lord through their pain and suffering. And the Spirit, too, groans with us and helps us to pray. The Spirit is helping us in our weaknesses, not abandoning us in our weaknesses. And so we have to realize that the Spirit is not only present in the height of rapture and, you know, these wonderful, joyous experiences, that the Spirit is also there present with us in the depths of despair, in our inability to cope, giving us strength, giving us faith, helping us to endure, groaning with us, helping us to pray, as Paul says elsewhere, helping us to cry by the Spirit, Abba, Father. So this means that if we aren't experiencing complete victory and happiness in our life, it doesn't mean that this is a sign of a lack of the Spirit and spirituality in our life. In fact, sometimes this is when the Spirit is most active in our lives. 
So as I said, it, it took me some time to realize these things, that sometimes the Spirit's work can be quiet and undramatic, and sometimes the Spirit accompanies us in pain and suffering. In short, I really didn't realize how wide the work of the Spirit is. I thought it was all about feeling good. As I said, I was a bit of a Spirit experience junkie. Let me take you back to my story. So, um, after I graduated from high school, I went to a Christian college, and I had a bit of a pendulum swing at this time. Great college, great people, uh, you know, loved the Lord, loved the Spirit, taught me about following the Spirit and so forth. But I had a bit of a pendulum swing where I moved from being a Spirit experience junkie to losing this sense of enchantment and delight in the Spirit. Uh, you'd say, I could say I became more discerning or I began to think more critically. Um, that's being more positive. If I were to put it in negative terms, you might say I became a bit too skeptical of things to do with the Spirit. And it really wasn't because of anything my professors taught me, but it was, I would say, probably more so an overreaction to some revivals that were taking place. So things that were taking place in the, in the late 90s in Toronto, in Florida. Um, and to some of my friends, I never went to any of these meetings, but I had friends who did. And they would describe how people were barking like dogs and saying that this was some sort of experience of the Spirit or, or that they were laying on the floor and groaning like they were giving birth as some sort of spiritual experience. And I thought, like, I, I just balked at these because these, these were weird. This didn't seem to have anything to do with the Holy Spirit. And so any spiritual experiences that were associated with those sort of revivals, I began to move away from it and not feel so comfortable with. And this, this included just anything, even things that I had previously engaged in, like praying in tongues, even just as simple as raising my hands in worship. And I certainly, I wasn't as quick to respond to altar calls. Now, this isn't to say I abandoned my faith or anything, but I just, I wasn't as open. I wasn't engage, as engaging with the Spirit because I was more skeptical. And I know many other people who have had similar experiences to mine. You know, maybe they've had ex intense experiences of the Spirit and they were open to the Spirit. And, but then maybe they were turned off by some strange people that they witnessed in a worship service or, or that they them same strange experiences that they experienced themselves. Or maybe they've watched Christian leaders try to manipulate other people under the guise of being under the anointing of the Spirit. Or people who have, you know, they, maybe they've seen people fake experiences of the Spirit. Or, or seen leaders who are, again, supposedly anointed by the Spirit have these terrible moral, moral failures. And so all these experiences can sometimes people make people go, no, I, I don't know if I want anything to really do with the Holy Spirit, if that's what it looks like. And we can have this pendulum swing away from experiencing the Spirit. And now there's other people who, they aren't having a pendulum swing at all. They just were never encouraged to engage with the Spirit. Maybe they came from a tradition that didn't talk about the Spirit much, or, or maybe when they did talk about the Spirit, it was almost like it was this negative thing, like, you know, oh, don't, don't talk about the Spirit too much, and, you know, be careful of people who talk about the Spirit too much. You know, it's almost like the Spirit was this hot stove, like, don't, don't touch, don't get too close, you might hurt yourself. And we need to realize that the Holy Spirit is not hazardous. Like, I think of Jesus, and it says that Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 4, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me after he's baptized in water. And we all love Jesus, and he's full of the Spirit. 
So we need to realize is that the Holy Spirit, and what I needed to realize in my own life, was that the Holy Spirit is integral to our relationship with God. And again, it's not that you can't have any relationship with God if you're not open to the Spirit, but it's almost like you're missing out on so much. And I don't want to say that the Spirit is part of God. Please, that, that would be heresy. <laughs> the Spirit is God. So even if we look at Acts chapter 10, look, look at how it describes Jesus in relationship to the Spirit. It says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So it describes him having the Holy Spirit being upon him. He's anointed by the Spirit, and this means that God was with him. So the Holy Spirit is not just some sort of experience or just some sort of force. This is God with him. Theologically, we would say that the Spirit is a divine person. The Spirit is divine. The Spirit's fully God. The Spirit is personal. We can have a relationship with the Spirit. In a, in a slightly different text, and, and this, this is actually talking about, um, uh, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians, and he's actually talking about disunity in the church. And he says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. And so we hear there, we see that, or we see or hear here that Paul is equating the spirit with God. He is saying, God, you are God's temple because you, the church, are where the spirit dwells and not the building, the people. The Spirit dwells within the church in a special way. So if we want to have a relationship with God, we have to be open to experiencing the Spirit. Now sometimes people will affirm, okay, yes, I realize, you know, in my head, cognitively, I recognize that the Spirit is divine. Like the Spirit is a person of the Trinity. God is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we don't really get the reality of what that means for our relationship with God. In short, I'll just kind of explain the Trinity this way. In short, the Trinity is kind of like an egg. No, just joking. Um, you can fry an egg. You can't fry God. <laughs> but the Trinity is like, uh, this is how one theologian described it. God the Father reaching out from heaven with his two hands, the Son and the Holy Spirit, to reconcile the world to himself so that we can have a relationship with God. It's not this mathematical puzzle. It's about God's relationship with us. And this is how God connects with us. I think of John 3.16. I thought about not putting it on the screen. I'm sure most of you have it memorized, perhaps in a different translation. But And it says, For God so loved the world, for God the Father so loved the world, that the Father, and we can read elsewhere in John, Jesus says, it's the Father who sent me. The Father so loved the world that he sent. He gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And how does this happen? If we go back a few verses in chapter 3, verse 3 and 6, Jesus says, you know, I tell you, you must be born again. How does this happen? You must be born of the Spirit. Spirit gives birth to Spirit, he says in verse 6. So God the Father, out of love, sends the Son so that we can be born again of the Spirit and have this relationship with God to have eternal life. If it weren't for the Holy Spirit, God, you know, the Bible describes God as being, you know, in heaven, the earth is his footstool, 
and the, the Son has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and we, we might think of God as kind of far out there or, or distant in the past in Jesus Christ doing miracles, but not with us now. But in Jesus Christ, or sorry, in the Holy Spirit, God is with us now. In 1 John chapter 3, it says, Now this is how we know that God, He, that God lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. So I needed to realize in my skepticism, and there's other people who need to realize in their, un, in their not being open to the Spirit, that the Spirit is fully God and personal, and that this, if we want to have a relationship with God, we need to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. The Spirit is not some sort of optional add-on. Um, we cannot ignore the Spirit in our walk with God. The Spirit is integral to our relationship with God. Now, if you're wondering how my story ends, well, I ended in college uh, when I was saying I was a bit skeptical, and I, I did recover from my skepticism. You've probably guessed that from my story. Uh, I went on to continue studying. I, I pastored at a church in Ontario for a number of years. And I, you know, over time, I became more open again to the work of the Spirit in my life. I started praying in tongues more and uh, engaging the Spirit, listening for the Spirit's voice and this sort of thing. And my hope is that if there's other people who've had stories similar to mine, that you will become more open to experiencing the Spirit in your life as well. The Spirit is the touch of God. This is how God reaches out to us. And we can say, oh yes, I know I have the Spirit in me because, you know, the Spirit dwells with me. I'm the temple of the Spirit. The church is the temple of the Spirit. But, you know, there's more to it than that. The Spirit does work in those quiet and hidden ways, but the Spirit, I want you to experience the Spirit as more than just kind of idly dwelling within you, but as a reality that, as, John, as Jesus described in John, as a spring of water welling up within you. As a final reminder, I just want to restate that the Spirit's work can be quiet and, and undramatic. So we need to be open to those ways of the Spirit working as well. The Spirit can accompany us in our pain and our suffering, and the Spirit is integral to our relationship with God. So my prayer as you continue through this series is that you'll continue to be open to the Spirit, working in your life in quiet ways, in more dramatic ways, um, that you'll recognize how the Spirit is working in ways that maybe you didn't see before, maybe in the midst of your suffering and not just in your joy and your happiness and, and your feelings of, of uh, spiritual high or whatever, and that you'll be open to all that the Spirit has for you because the Spirit is integral to your relationship with God.